What's up, fellas? Hopefully you guys enjoyed your Easter weekend with the family. I know we we did. I uh, really enjoyed it, getting to spend some time with family, uh, eat some ribs over at the Real Coach Harper's house. So hopefully you guys enjoyed your Easter um, and are ready for spring ball. Anytime Easter comes, it means spring ball is coming uh, for a lot of us high school coaches. So um, you guys, if you need anything for that, go check out our website, runthepower.com, and, and check out some of our podcast episodes. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Travis Thurston. Coach Thurston is the OC and offensive line coach at Eisenhower High School, Goddard, Kansas. Listen as we talk with Coach Thurston about coaching offensive line in the flex bone, running the option, and his favorite play-action shot plays in the flex bone. You can follow Coach Thurston on Twitter at Coach Moneyball. Hope you guys enjoy. Um, you know, I played high school here at uh, Hutchinson High School here in Kansas, and uh, truth be told, I was a pretty below average high school football player that just happened to be a part of a really great organization and a lot of good players around us. And, you know, I played for you know, Coach Dryling, and you know, here in Kansas, he's a little bit of a legend. I mean, he won, I think, his eighth state title this year at you know, either five or six top classifications. So, um, you know, I, I really – uh, like I said, just lucky to be a part of that deal. I wasn't the key or anything to that, but you know, I graduated and, and I had a couple little small colleges. Nothing wrong with small colleges, but I didn't want to go play football in college. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to get my degree. I wanted to start teaching. I wanted to start coaching. You know, and uh, and I got a great opportunity um, right out of high school. I started going to the JUCO, and immediately I got on as a junior high assistant. So. You know, I've been coaching football since I was 19 years old. You know, the first year I didn't play, was the first year I coached, which oh, has wow. been awesome. Yeah, it was just a lucky break, really. But, you know, I finished up, got my degree and all that, and it was right during the, you know, the recession. There was not a whole lot of jobs out there, to be totally honest with you. And so I took the, the first job that offered me, and it was a little eight-man school in western Kansas. And I'll tell you, from playing 6A ball, biggest ball in Kansas, to going down and playing eight-man was a little bit of an adjustment for me to coach down there. <laughs> yeah i bet so but i stayed there a year and then uh, uh coach Dryling back there in hutch he had an opening and got me a job uh, you know uh, teaching and coaching there and so um i started on there as his o-line coach 
um, which is what I played, you know, back in high school. Um, and I mean, it was, you know, in a lot of ways that, you know, dream come true, get to go, you know, coach at the school you went to and all that playing, you know, you played in your hometown, now coaching your hometown, you know? And so I got there and the first year we had a really good offensive coordinator and then he went and got a head job the next year and we didn't have an offensive coordinator for the year. And so I just kind of started picking up any job that he used to do that nobody was doing, you know, everything from, you know, I would set up the two minute drill and I would set up the goal line, you know, short yardage drills, and, uh, you know, halftime. I'd write down any, any adjustments we thought we needed to make to play calling. And all of a sudden I think I just kind of picked up every job that the offensive coordinator was supposed to be doing that the next year he's like, well, I guess I ought to make you the offensive coordinator as well as the line guy. <laughs> So I I kind of got started on that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of got into that. And then, uh, you know, he's been at St. Thomas Aquinas, Coach Dryling, for uh, I think it's his fifth year. And when he he went up there, he wanted uh, a couple guys to go with him. And so uh, I went up there and was running, um, again, the O-line and the O-C. And uh, it kind of went from me just doing a few jobs to, you know, me getting more involved and making some audibles and eventually doing a little bit of play calling and all that for him. Um, and then two years ago, uh, you know, Coach Marinelli, I know he's talked with you guys before um, here oh, at Eisenhower. Yeah. And, you know, Coach had a spot where, um, you know, he wanted a, a guy that could be more involved in the offense, let him focus a little bit more on defense. Obviously, he was still a head guy and still running everything. But, you know, technically it was the same position, offensive coordinator, but it was definitely a, a position where I was going to get to uh, – be more personally involved with some of the decision-making and some of the game planning. And uh, so that, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years there. So, um, you know, counting those two years of junior high, you know, this is 10 years coaching and I've coached D-line a couple of years. I've coached O-line every year, but one, uh, I got to coach one year as, as a running backs coach. I was a, you know, I'm a little bigger guy. I wasn't used to that deal, but. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, nobody's making me for a running back, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, you what? How do you describe your offense? What is it? Because uh, I don't want to miss uh, misrepresent what your offense is. So, what do you call it? Um, when, when I introduce it to somebody, I, I tell them it's the flex bone, um, and that, that's the most I think well known way about it. Um, we're we're different from you know Paul Johnson, and we're a little bit different from you know what Army does and what some of those guys Navy does, but. Uh, that's the easiest way to kind of get the idea of where we base from, at least. Okay, flexbone. So is that something that um, you did always with Coach Dryling, or is that something you picked up as you went over to Eisenhower, or or how did that kind of come about for you? Yeah, so that's that's really something that I've, I've grown up essentially running. I mean, the offense has evolved a little bit, um, you know, from the time I played to when I started coaching. There's a couple changes in there, but. Yeah, so I've, I've basically always been coaching in the flexbone. And then, I mean, that's really kind of where I met Coach Marinelli. Around Kansas, all the flexbone coaches are pretty tight. And we you know, like to share ideas and, hey, what worked for you last year? What are you trying next year? And honestly, that's kind of just how I, you know, met him and knew him. What are, what's kind of the where you start, Coach, when you kind of go day one install with the flexbone? You know, is it, is it the belly that you guys are running? Or are you guys instantly going into the triple midline? I mean, where do you guys kind of start with that when you – when you uh, install the offense and maybe kind of what you guys hang your hat on? Well, and that depends a little bit. Um, everybody's a little bit different. Um, when I was with Coach Dryling, you know, like I said, he, he was the man. I mean, everything I know I learned from him essentially. Um, you know, his deal was everything had to start with him for inside. 
Um, and so we started with the inside veer rules. Once we learned that, we could do midline. Once we did that, then we could do belly ISO and outside veer and speed option, all the other you know important parts there. Um, you know, Coach Marinelli and I are a little bit different. Um, you know, I think we start with midline and then work. Um, I, mean, I call it belly ISO. It's it's not the same belly that you see some of those academies running. We we're really basically just running you know, A-gap, B-gap, ISO. Um, it just looks like inside veer, but we're not we're not always pulling guys. and We're not always doing that deal on that. It's, it's a old-school I-form ISO type of play. Hmm. Um, but that, And then we worked inside veer and then all the other things. Outside veer is also a real, real big play for us, which is pretty different. You'll see the academies, and a lot of those guys, they, they just recommend high schools not even try to run it. <laughs> it's been a good for us over the years. Do you guys get to cut at the second level in Kansas? No, we don't. No, just between the tackle ball. So, so how yeah. do, does that make it more difficult to run that? Because I've always, uh, and and this is me knowing almost nothing about the offense, but uh, so uh, that's a caveat. But I've always kind of thought one of the <laughs> one of the big weapons of that offense is is the ability to um, obviously cut on the line of scrimmage, but also be able to cut linebackers. Yeah, I, I definitely think the linebacker deal it's a big deal. Um, you know, on the perimeter. I don't know. Obviously, there's some times when you look out there and go, man, if we could just cut that guy, we could reach him and get outside. But I think there's a lot of times you, you can teach your guys, if you can get them to not hold, to you know, run through some blocks. In a lot of ways, you can keep that defender engaged a little bit longer maybe than you can cutting him. But obviously, on the, on the linebackers, it'd be easier. I, I don't know. I've talked to some college guys that say, hey, our, our college rules are going to go back to what you guys play in Kansas here in five or ten years. Like, like safety and everything's going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's uh... – always working back to that i know when i was in college it used to be like almost free reign with cuts uh and then by the end of the by the end of my career it was a college career if you want to call it that uh they were uh they made a lot of new rules especially with receivers and angles you could cut from and couldn't cut back towards the the ball and all all sorts of different rules and i'm sure uh, they'll just continue to expand on that as the as the years go by yeah player safety and everything so probably good (laughs) Did you guys see the new rule change that they sent out yesterday about how you only have to have five guys in the line of scrimmage now? Do what? Who did that? Say we got it. We got it sent to us uh, from the National Federation. They're trying to make it easier on like illegal formations. So now apparently, apparently you're only going to have to have five guys in the line of scrimmage. So I don't know if you guys had heard it or not, but it created quite the buzz up here. I know that. So now it's like, well, okay, uh, who's eligible, who's not eligible? I mean, I thought that was going to be uh, be somewhat interesting. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, no, I, I just heard that now. So, yeah, I'll have to think about that a little bit. You know, as much as we motion, that might be a deal for us. I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't – no, I hadn't heard that. I saw you – know, the only big rule change that I saw is in Oklahoma in, – and I know – I don't even know how the National Federation – I don't know how any of that works because it was like some states could or couldn't. So I didn't get much into it. I just saw that Oklahoma is going to adopt the 40-second clock, uh, which yeah. I was pretty excited about because um, we do so much – we actually huddle. So we huddle, and then we like to be able to shift and motion at the line of scrimmage. And the way we've been doing it is um, it's just whenever the refs feel like setting it, then they start the 25-second clock. But with each ref, it's different, and it's like – each quarter is different for how they're going to set it and how long we have. So I'm kind of excited about this year. As soon as the guy's tackled, ball's dead, boom, you got 40 seconds. So you kind of at least know how much time you're going to have. Yeah, it's kind of a little more fair. And you don't get a ref taking forever or trying to hurry. I mean, it's all the same every time, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can actually practice it. You know, we, we'd go into some games and have all these shifts and, and it'd be great in some games and we'd go into some games and, and they'd be, you know, short whistling us and we're like, all right, no more shifts this, this game. Let's just get up there and get the player in. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's and a I, good change. I hope Kansas goes there. And, you know, we've got, we've got one flexbone team that we play, and, and I'm not sure, um, you know, how similar or not similar, but, uh, you know, they like to get up to the line, uh, send the guy in motion, and then stop, and then go and, and look over at their coaches, and then, um, you know, audible to – or I don't know if you call it audible or, or whatever, but then, then change the play, you know, depending on the front. And I would assume that this 40-second rule would give them – uh, a lot more leeway now because uh, again they're not it's not all up to when does the uh ref spot the ball and not yeah for sure yeah we've done some of that and there's some advantages and disadvantages of that but yeah like you said at least it's consistent and you know and they know how much time they're going to have each time there right yeah that's exactly right coach how do you how do you script going into a game with with the flex bone is that something where you, you've got your certain you know plays that you're going to run and then and then you've got contingencies off of it that's kind of always been the the thing I've always wanted to learn from that offense and that's um and maybe it's not the way you guys run it I, I'm not sure but there's some offenses that are to me more flexible and like where it's like they've got contingencies off each of their play okay we're going to run this and if this doesn't work because of a certain reason that means we're going to run this play if that one doesn't work because of a certain way their defense is or a reason then that should then this play should be open it is that kind of similar to, to how you line it up or game plan going into a game yeah, a little bit of that, and then there, there's a little bit of, of bullheadedness that we have enough um, adjustments where you line up this way and you try to take away our inside beer triple option. Well, maybe that opens up inside beer double option. And so we, we try a little bit. We try to have enough versatility in the way we can call, especially for our perimeter guys, hmm. where we can change them without changing our O-line and, and adjust to how they're trying to take away things if we really think, hey, inside beer is you know, the play we hang our hat on. I don't want to let a defense just simply take it away by lining up or doing something a certain way. Sure. Um, but there's, but there's no doubt that, um, you know, you come in with a script and, and I've told, you know, when, when I'm the play caller, um, which I have been the last couple of three years, I've told my head coach that, Hey, we may be off script play too. You know, <laughs> yep. um, I mean, they're, they're a three, four team and all of a sudden now they're in a four, two, five. Well, you know, Hey, there's a lot of stuff that needs to change now. And now we may be doing a totally different deal. And, you know, there's got to be a little bit of, and we got to do that a little bit during the week of, we got to be ready for a little bit of everything. You never quite know how they're going to come out, quite how they're going to play us on defense. And so sometimes, you know, you got to hang your hat on, hey, we're really freaking good at midline double. And, okay, we worked a lot on 3-4 this week, but they're not in it. I guess we're going to go around midline double until we know for sure what they're doing and how they're playing us, you know. Mm, sure. Uh, do you guys, is there anyone else in, in your uh, conference or, or district that runs Flexbone, or are you guys the only ones that a defense will see? Um, well, we're in kind of this super league that's split up into little six or 17 divisions. Uh-huh. And so we're the only one in our division. Um, but there's okay. a team division above us and a couple below us. So typically a lot of teams end up playing two flexible teams. Here. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say that that's what I would assume would be the most difficult is, uh, it seems like defenses, maybe not always, but they've got a good chance to completely change what they do uh, when they're going against a flex bone team and so uh, for you guys if if it's you don't see them play another flex bone team it, it's almost like you said it's like a shot in the dark okay yeah they're a three four team but uh, there's a 90 percent chance that they're not going to line up like that against us and, and if they haven't played anyone else or 
it's a new DC that didn't play you guys last year. Uh, you guys are kind of going there blind if no other teams are running what you guys are running. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, up there, when I was at Aquinas, you know, the, the league up there, the EKL, there was almost everybody was a 4 2 5 or a 4 3. They're running even fronts. And it just didn't matter when I was coaching O line. I knew we had to set a, a 10 or 15 minute drill every week to we're going to work our odd front stuff because it just it changed up a bunch of stuff, especially an inside beer mm-hmm. of what we do. And yeah, they're a 4 2 5 team, but we better be ready to beat 3 4 this week because you just never know because you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get caught Friday and not have worked on it in two weeks or something. Right. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, I mean, uh, and obviously you, you're probably going to practice that anyway. I mean, you, you have a, a handful of plays that, that, you know, hey, no matter what, I'm going to make sure I go into this. doesn't matter what front they're going to be in. We're going to run it, and then whatever the adjustment is off of it, let's rock and roll. I was the same way. I didn't think that, you know, uh, scripting is, is all nice and, and good, but, you know, all of a sudden when they, they come out in some kind of different defense or different look, it doesn't make much sense for me to, to sit there and waste, you know, eight, nine plays when I know that they're probably not built for what we thought they were going to do. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important, you know, for what we want to do to, sh- uh, to at least have some uh, formation scripted. Hey, how are they going to line up to twins over? How are they going to line up yeah. to trips? Um, and then some of our shifts and things like that. But I, I agree with you. You're not necessarily going to have 35 plays and we're running it right now. Yeah, I, I like that philosophy a lot, especially, you know, okay, yeah, we, we think this is going to be a good formation. Let's show it early and see how they play it. Or, you know, like you said, maybe it, it's to set up something else. we got a cool reverse or something this week. So we're going to show this, show this a couple of times, and then we'll see if it's there. If it's not, hey, we'll keep running the regular play. But, yeah, absolutely, setting up your sequences. Right, no doubt. Well, and, and like you said, you know, we come out, we're doing something different. Everybody else in the gun running spread, we're running flex. So they may have a new defense for us, but – when we get in, say, you know, trips with a tight end, mm-hmm. they probably only have one adjustment and one way to play that because they didn't work that all week near as much as they did our just normal, you know, two-by-two two formation. And so, well, they might have a few adjustments to our base formation. If we get a new one, they're going to have to play whatever their adjustment is and they're going to have to stick with it so we can uh, sometimes get more out of that just getting into different formations they haven't worked as much, too. That's a great point. That's one of them that, that Walls always like to try to do um, – uh, and I don't remember – I'm not not as good a coach as the Walls, but he always had his three or four that um, I want to say, like, whatever, motion to empty and, and um, you know, some of the, like too tight uh, with, with doubles uh, to one side and, and some of those things that, like you said, defenses can only have, you know, one max two, two adjustments to or, or formations, the way they're going to line up to it uh, because they just don't have time to – line up to every formation you've got. And so there's a few formations where they're going to have one base uh, empty check or, or motion to empty check. And once you get that, now you, you kind of know what that's going to be for the rest of the game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, the way we kind of try to design our, our tag scheme, we can throw a couple numbers out there and tell all our backs and receivers what they're doing. And then for the most part, all our O-line needs to know is, hey, we're running mid-triple here or we're running inside beer here. Their rules are the same, whether we're in doubles, whether we're in trips. Because as much as possible, I try not to jack with their rules. Right. Yeah, that makes the, the nice thing is when you, you've got it super down pat for those guys up front, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what you're going to do on the outside. You know, some, some coaches would be, you know, hey, you know, you're gonna, how are you going to throw that adjustment in? We didn't, we didn't practice any of that. Well, yeah, we did. You know, the offensive line knows how to block this play. 
You know, the, the yep. our guys know how to line up in this formation. You know, it's a it's a real simple adjustment when you're running a, a concept driven offense to to make some of those easy in game adjustments based on things that you're getting. You know, I, I remember distinct times where I'd line up in, in race and lace and, you know, hey, thinking, well, we hadn't really practiced this, but our guys are good. You maybe give them the, the quick adjustment. Hey, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what they showed on film. You show them the, the stuff on the sideline. And it's, and it's, it's easy for you to kind of go back out there and, and boom, we get the look we want and the kids are able to execute it. And people are like, whoa, you know, you guys didn't even practice this week. Well, we didn't have to. We've been practicing it for now for, for eight weeks we finally had a chance to pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. That guy knows what a five block is. The O-line knows how to block it. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. <laughs> Coach, uh, you know, you, you talk, you know, you'd say yours is kind of flex bone. And I know uh, there for a while, Kansas was kind of uh, at least Pittsburgh State, you know, was it was two back veer. And, and there's some other ways to run inside veer, outside veer from, from different formations. Are, are you able to, um, you know, meet with some of those coaches and grab some things w from them? Or it, are those, you know, similar offenses that are – are they too different, uh, even though maybe it, it's some of the same plays? Um, yes and no. I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, they, we're running similar plays and similar schemes, obviously. Um, a lot of teams have kind of gotten away from, you know, the old Pitt State split back veer and – um, and, and honestly, in a lot of ways, it's just because when you line up in the flex, you can still throw the ball. You can still throw four verts, and you can – even if you don't do it a whole bunch, you can threaten the defense in some ways that it's just tougher to do, you know, out of the old wishbone or out of the old eye or split back. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those, but um, – and so we, we tend to collaborate a bunch with, you know, the other coaches that, you know, are kind of running things the way we are in the I actual flex bone. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I just didn't know. Like I said, I, I'm coming from a, a nowhere, a place of knowing nothing and wishing I knew a lot more. Um, I, I got to actually listen to Georgia Tech talk uh, just for about 10 minutes uh, when I was in College Station, and then all the coaches wanted to leave and were ready to get back home from one of the clinics. And um, I was, it was to me shocking because, because again, I don't, I've known you know zone and gap scheme, but basically I've known pro and and. Uh, um, you know, air raid, but I've never gotten to dabble into any of, you know, veer or belly or, or any of that stuff. And so it's always been really intriguing. And I've always thought it was really, you know, kind of tough nose football and, and I've always loved it, but I've never gotten into it. So uh, I got a chance to listen to Georgia Tech's guy for a little bit. And it was kind of, it was kind of crazy, almost, I don't want to say opposite, but it's like almost how different he was teaching it than than the way I'd been taught to block my whole life, and and maybe not fundamentals stuff, but even from you know from stance to um, you know I was zone or gap, and you kind of have your zone or gap, but his was very uh, counting off kind of numbers, and and it was it was very very different, and so it was really really uh, intriguing to me, but uh, unfortunately <laughs> we had to leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one of the things that you know you get a a coach who's coached a bunch of, you know, wing T or he's coached a bunch of zone and he's like, well, what what are your rules, you know, on down or, you know, what do you have? And, well, it's not quite that simple, you know, and um, we, we can, we can make the rules easy enough. Um, you know, but a lot of our option plays, it simply just comes down to, you got to know where the read key is, you know, midline first guy on the guard, inside view first guy on the tackle, outside view first guy outside tight end. Um, and then we're double teaming the next guy on the inside. Um, 
And then after that, everything else kind of takes care of itself. We're either basing or we're scooping, depending on where they are. Um, but it is a little bit different. It's not – in some ways, it's not as easy for our guys up front as some of the other schemes, some mm-hmm. of the other systems might be. Do you guys flip your offensive line at all, or do you have a right and a left side? Uh, I never have flipped. I've always had a right and a left side, yeah. And then uh, are, are you guys in – what are you doing stance-wise? I know I've seen some that go – uh, inside hand down and inside foot back, maybe even. I think I saw Georgia Tech do that. Um, and then I've seen some just, you know, whatever, hand comfortable. And then obviously some that go right, you know, right, right-handed, right right-handed, uh, right players and a right-handed stance, left players and left-handed stance. What do you guys teach? Um, well, that, and that's always a, a debate we have. Um, <laughs> a debate so much that the rule changed from when I played to when I coached. Huh. Um, so – um, in general, I think it's better to have the inside hand down. Whatever hand we put down, we're going to put that foot. We're going to stagger it a bit. I, I'm not a big stagger. I, I want them as balanced as possible because we got to be able to move both ways. We got to be able to reach on your know, rocket, and we got to be able to inside release on a lot of stuff. So I don't want them, you know, too staggered there because they got to be able to move, like I said, both directions. But sure. When you're when your inside hand is down, it's easier because that you know in my head the outside arm is free, so it's easier to use that arm to rip. We need to scoop and inside release, and I'd rather be really really good at that and say okay, I'm not quite as good as reaching on rocket, um, because in theory, if you run rocket right, that that D lineman they really shouldn't matter. You know that's kind mm-hmm. of the point of the play as we get out there. So I'd rather be able to scoop from the backside um, and inside release better so i think the inside hand down is better but but i'll I'll be honest with you i I would be open to debating with you or or anybody about you know the benefits of both because i think there's a valid case to be made for both Hmm. to me on that whole thing i mean i i think it's whatever you know you you believe in the most because obviously you're going to coach it a lot harder you know it it wouldn't matter if somebody had told me hey walls you're only going to teach it this way and and even even if I don't know, maybe it was 50-50, you know, half a dozen, six the other way, whatever. If I believe in one way over the other one, I'm going to coach it a lot harder and it's probably going to be a lot better because the kids will be able to sense it. Like, hey, yeah, this this makes sense. This is the way to get it done. So I think, you know, whatever your first inclinations are, I always roll with those. So for me, that's no always kind of the way I teach it. Yeah, no doubt. Coach, talking to Coach Broyles, who, like I said, was his dad was at Pitt State, and, and they ran, uh, you know, split back veer. But uh, he had always talked about – because I'm always picking his brain. Because, again, this, is, this offense is, is uh, just the utmost intriguing to me. But um, he always talked about how important that backside scoop is and how at Pitt State anyways, they were working it every day. I mean, it was – it was, and you even said, you know, we, you guys will get into a, an inside stance just because it may help you inside release or scoop that much easier. So it's obviously a, a, a pretty important uh, uh, technique for you guys or, or um, block for you. So what are some things that you're teaching your guys to be good, at, to get good at scooping? I, I know, and I don't know how it works with cutting and different things, but they'd have you know, their center basically bear crawl out of things. And, and he said, you know, some of those centers were so good at it that they were almost faster bear crawling than they were running. And, and you know, and I'm, I don't know that it all translates over to flex bone, but I would assume uh, similar with scoop blocks. So how, do you, how are you coaching that? How are you getting that uh, across to your guys and, and making that a, a, good, a good technique for your guys? 
Well, I'll, I'll start first kind of with the motivation behind it because Coach Marinelli is the guy that, you know, taught me this. And he always tells our guys that, hey, as soon as the backside blocks become as important as the play side blocks, six-yard gains turn into 60-yard gains. Hmm. Um, and so, we, you know, we preach that as far as that, as far as the motivation of why we have to be good at it. Um, you know, but as far as, the, you know, the technique for us, um, a lot of times what we're trying to do, our, our base scoop step is we're going to open. You know, if I'm scooping left, I'm opening with my left foot. And I'm stepping flat across my body. I'm legit crossing over my entire body with my right foot as flat as I can down the line. And I'm throwing my right arm, basically assuming that that cat across the ball is slanting here. Um, and that's the same step I'm going to use, um, say, I'm a center and right guard. If I'm the right guard, I'm trying to scoop a nose, you know, head up zero. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to scoop as flat as I can. And, I, and I'm basically telling him, you are throwing your hand right up the center's rear. And then you're aiming for that play side shoulder as zero. And, you're not even trying to block him as much as you're just trying to rip and run as fast as you can to get to that point on that play side shoulder of the guy. Because if you happen to go so fast, you overrun him, he can't come all the way around the backside of your scoop and run down a back on, on anything that we're doing at least. So is that something that you guys work on? Uh, how often do you work that block in a, in a week? I mean, we're going to work it every week for sure. Um, every week. You know, yeah, here at Eisenhower, we uh, we had a little lower numbers, and so for the most part, we started guys one way, but a lot of our guys still practice both ways just in case, oh, maybe we need a third down guy or we need this. You know, um, Aquinas had a couple more players, and so we got to, for the most part, just practice one side of the ball except for a couple real deal studs. And when I had those guys, you know, I'd have double the indie time. You know, we, we'd work that, you know, dang near every day. I mean, it, it was an important drill for us. Coach, how long do you guys generally work that then? You guys go 10 minutes, 15 minutes where it's all just squared up. You guys are reaching the heck out of people. Or is it something where, you know, hey, it's it's five minutes, full speed, we get a ton of reps, and then we move on? Yeah, I'd say more five to ten full speed reps. And, and you know, part of the deal on the whole scoop drill, especially if it's like the one-on-one scoop where I'm, you know, say a tackle scoop and a four-eye, um, you know, we work the combo of if that guy runs his, you know, his tail up field and isn't in the play, you're working your same tracks now up to the outside linebacker who's going to be folding in over the top. And if he's slanting in, okay, now you're going to have to, you know, bust there and get that play side shoulder and stop his movement. So there's a couple things we have to work on that. But yeah, it's going to be an intense five to 10 minute. Let's go fast. Let's go hard. And let's move on. You guys put a linebacker out there then too. So you kind of work both. So you were cutting off the, the tough shade. And then you guys also yep. work, okay, you've, you've gone through it, and now you've got to find an angle to, to be able to cut off this backside linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to make it work like a game, right? You just never know for sure when they're going to stunt the other way, and what he's done all game is different. So I think you've got to work both of them at the same time and you know, mix up a little bit what the defense is doing there. So, Coach, obviously any, any offense is going to be different going from 11-man to 8-man. How much of a difference was it – uh, with this flex bone type offense, when you went from eleven down to eight man, did it change a bunch of rules? And or were you were, are you able to run that same type of offense with eight man football? Uh, that that first job that you had. Well, no, I, I was just I was just an assistant. I was the O line D line coach there, so I was, we were running his deal, and it was a. I mean, they were option, but it was I and, and gun option. And, oh, okay. Uh, I, I've played around drawing up on paper before. I, I don't think it works quite the same way. Um, it's just tough with the numbers to get everything right mm. is my opinion on it. 
How how was that? How was that going to eight man football? Uh, you know, just O line and D line, but I would assume quite a bit different than uh, than your playing days and, and everything you had learned up to that point. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, as a player, I kind of just thought that hey, everybody's equal. Like I said, I wasn't very good, but I never played across the ball from a guy. I'm like, oh shoot, this cat's way better than me. We're gonna have to do something different. I just can't walk. You know, but you get down at that level, and, and no knock on anybody, but every now and then they got cats. You know, they're like, whoa, we can't handle this guy. We're going to have to do something different. And, uh, so much of that game becomes, you know, matchups and getting that deal right more so than trying to get the right scheme or, or anything like that. Whereas I think an 11-man, especially when at the bigger schools, you know, we all got enough dudes that we're going to all be at least adequate everywhere mm-hmm. where the way you scheme things, the way you attack things can matter a little bit more. But it, it felt like a whole bunch of it was I had to get, you know, our good dude against our bad guy was – the way we were going to have success down there, it always felt like an eight man. Did you guys play on, on smaller fields too? Yeah, they're a little bit narrower and I think it's 80 yards. Yeah. That's a little bit me, smaller. Yeah. To me, that was always kind of the cool thing, you know, watching some, some of the nine man football it was actually up in, in South Dakota where I grew up, but then they, they did have eight man in Nebraska and they actually had six man in Nebraska as well. But being able to watch some of those games, it's like you said, if you had if you had one dude that could really tilt the field, you know, a stud, how awesome it was to watch that because that guy was just making plays everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I remember uh, Chad Greenway was it was a QB when when I was growing up in, in South Dakota, you know, played in the NFL, but he was a, a nine man quarterback, and I, I'm not kidding, he scored like 80 touchdowns or something his his senior year, just because you know nobody could stop that guy and you know you see the same thing in nebraska in six man they'd have a, a big time fullback and the guy's just smoking people so I, I can definitely hear what you're saying you know you got that smaller field and it seems like that dude that can really run or that guy that's really super physical can really make a huge impact on a game at that level yeah we we had a quarterback that went he actually threw discus at ku you know big six two two hundred pound kid well Two or three games, we just walked on the field and having the six two two hundred pound quarterback that could run just you know won us the game. We we're going to forty five and a half. <laughs> Absolutely. With okay, so to me, all the personnel stuff might might be different now with Flexbone with what you guys are trying to do. So, what are you looking for now when you're looking athlete wise? Uh, when you're looking for your quarterback, and and then also with with. Um, with your linemen as far as positioning uh, for what you guys are wanting to be good at? Um, you know, your quarterback. Um, I mean, is it, I, is I guess gotta, my question is like, is it just as simple as who's our very best runner and our very best athlete and let's put him at quarterback or is it quite a bit more than that? Yeah, I don't, I just don't think it's quite that simple. I mean, I, I know some teams have done that, had a lot of success doing that, but, I, I, he needs to be a quarterback. I'm not saying he has to be a great passer, but, I mean, he's got to be a cat that's a good decision maker and a good leader. Um, and we're going to ask that guy to read a whole bunch, um, yeah, assuming that, you know, things don't go weird on us. That, <laughs> you know, he, he's got to be a, a little bit of a quarterback. You know, I, I can deal with a guy who's not quite as athletic, but makes good choices and makes good decisions. You know, if you've got a real deal freak, I mean, we're still playing him at fullback. And, Again, that's one of the things that may be a little bit different for the way we think about things in the academies. You know, we have some plays. We're going to run some speed option if that guy's a creature. We're going to run outside beer. We're going to run belly ice. We're going to run some, hey, this is your time to shine. Um, you know, Coach Drowning runs a little short uh, power toss, you know, down, down, kick with the back and pull the guard or center up and lead. And it, 
I mean, it's a real off tackle. So it's a lot like that uh, LSU play, a little short toss they used to run back in the day out of the eye. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, we we try to get that guy the ball a whole bunch. So if that guy's a if that guy's a freak, we, we're going to keep him at fullback. Or we're going to give him the ball there a bunch in a lot of different ways. And then what are you looking at for, for tackle or guard or even center? What's Because, uh, you know, with, with the type of offense we have, we always try to put our, um, you know, our, our biggest maulers probably at tackle um, so we can, we can, you know, do some base and some different things. Um, obviously, our, our smarter guy, normally smaller guy is going to be at center. And then uh, we try to put our, our best athletes at the guards because we do pull so much. So what are you looking at? Obviously – not every year is perfect, and, and you're going to put people in the best places. But if you're just kind of looking prototypical, what are you looking for at, at those different positions? So I base out of a left tight end set when we have a tight end. And so with that in mind, I want to put my best overall alignment at either left tackle or center. Hmm. Um, I've I found throughout the years there's some guys that just can't play center. I don't know if that's maybe in crappy coach or whatever but I, there's some guys I just don't oh like i agree center. i agree so, it's hard you know but but if your best guy can play center i, I think that is huge it it kills the odd front teams and it and it makes them anytime they uncover your center it's just you know game over she's gonna maul the mic or the backside linebacker so i'm gonna put my best guy at center or my best guy at strong side tackle at left tackle um and then you know, I'm going to find my biggest – most. this is kind of where we're backwards, I think, from a lot of offenses. I'm going to find my biggest, nastiest dude and put him a left guard. Hmm. I know a lot of people like quick guards. They're going to pull a – you know, we don't have to pull a whole bunch on a whole lot of plays with what we do. Um, there's, some, there's, there's some things that are built in that we can use, but I'm, I'm going to put a mauler there because if I want to run inside veer at the three-tech, because as I said earlier, I don't want the defense to dictate, hey, here's a three right here. You can't run inside veer. Hey, screw that. I'm going to run inside veer where I'm going to run inside veer. <laughs> And so I need a mauler and, you know, get after that three-tech. That three-tech's going to be a war daddy. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be playing three-tech for him. Right. So I'm going to do that. And then, like I said, my uh, my next best guy is either center or left tackle or wherever the best guy is. And, and then on the backside, um, you know, the backside guard, I've played a couple different ways. Um, I've had a 300-some pounder that's just a big physical dude. Um, one year we won state with a 185 pounder. I'm not even exaggerating. Wow! But he freaking run and he could scoop and he could get after guys. And he was you know tougher than nails. Um, but I think in general you still want that guy to be a little bit bigger. Um, you know some of those even front teams are still going to try to play you. You know with the under over or whatever you want to call it, where they're playing him with that two eye or one tech type deal on inside inside shoulder. Um, so I'd rather have him be physical. And then honestly, that right tackle he just has to be able to run. Mm. Um, and I've, I've played a lot of guys under 200 pounds at that backside tackle because um, when you get those even front teams, they want to set their strength or three tech to the tight end a bunch of the time. And so, you know, I'm just dealing with a four or five tech most of the time. Well, at the end of the day, all I'm really asking him to do is inside release to linebacker, occasionally reach and occasionally base him on our belly ISO. And, you know, if he's quick off the ball, he doesn't have to be all that big. He doesn't have to be. Uh, and like I said, that's just different. I think because a lot of offenses, you know, you want your big guys at tackles and your quick guys at guards, and we're just we're a little bit different um, based on what we're trying to do. And, and then the the kind of the last thing uh, I know I keep harping on about flexbone, but uh, my last kind of question is again with Coach Broyles, he had talked about at Pitt State that was like every single day, like one of the most important things for them was um, cadence. So they were going through cadence like every day in in meetings and then they'd go through cadence and where the two and the three quarterback had to have the exact same cadence uh as the 
as the one, and I would assume probably even more with with Flexbone if you're going to motion those those guys up and back or whatever. I would assume that all the cadence and all that stuff has to be perfect. So is that something that you guys work on and, and harp on a lot, or is that not kind of translate from from uh, two back? No, I agree. It has to. Be, yeah, it has to be the same. Um, your your backup's got to be the same. Third string, they all got to be the same. And, you know, every every back you have can go on a slightly different point in motion depending on how quick he is. But, you know, that like, everybody knows. He goes, hey, I'm going right on the start of ready. Or I'm going the pause between, you know, down and ready. Or And every every back knows it. And so, yeah, you can't have your backup step in there for, you know, quarterback gets his helmet knocked off. You can't have your backup step in there and screw up the whole deal. All of a sudden, you're trying to run rocket, and that guy's two steps farther than he normally is. And, you know, turns into a touchdown for the defense. So, yeah, it's, it's important. they got to have the same kids. Coach, what are some of your guys' constraint plays, your, your big-time play actions? Like what traditionally have you guys – I would imagine you got guys running sometimes completely free, 20 yards wide open because you guys do uh, smash it so much in the bone. What, what are some of your go-tos there to, to score the ball? Um, probably the number one play is um, just our chase route. So we'll just run vert um, with, the, with the receiver and then – uh, we're chasing the corner with the slot and then our backside slot motions like it's inside veer. And then he's basically just a flare check down. So it's got a little bit of flood concept going on. Um, and it's simply, we're going to ride. And as we're riding, we're reading the, we're reading number one deep. And if he's not there, if he's, you know, even he's leaving, we're, we're throwing it up right now. And um, if he's not, then we're checking down to uh, the chase route and the chase route is, is pretty tough to cover. Um, you know, if the safety's over the top, we flatten it out. If the safety's not, and we keep heading, uh, chasing the corner. We try to drop it over the top of the safety there. Um, and if they're both covered, there can't be anybody left on the motion guy. Like you said, everybody's got everybody's to be up there on the run anyway, so there can't be a whole lot of dudes left um, for that. So that's, that's probably the number one play. Um, I'm a big fan of post-wheel, especially on um, the two high teams, the 4-3 and the 3-4 teams, um, you know, because they got to alley that front side safety. Um, yep. and so either crack, go, or post-wheel. Um, you know, with the receiver and then, like I said, the wheel with that guy. And uh, I've had the most luck probably when we go and fake midline triple um, because if we're faking it to the right, we send our right slot in motion like he's going left. And so the action goes left and then the play action is right. And then all of a sudden we're you know, hitting the opting to crack go over the top. And it really can cause some problems if those safeties aren't real, real disciplined. And, you know, they've been trained all week. we got to get up there. we got to alley. we got to be there. And, oh, yeah, you did, but not that play. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly I, right i remember we played uh we played lot in uh i think it was lot nike my first year at jenks and, and they were flex bone and i remember i mean the, the defensive staff is just all you know man this is this is going to be a hard week hard week you know i'm like well dude just hey give up something you know if, if take, give give them the the lesser of whatever evil they want you know so normally they wouldn't pitch it so they I mean great fullback they had pretty decent quarterback so spent the whole week, hey, let's let's force them to pitch it. And honestly, I mean, just completely shut down the run. But they did hit two passes on us down, you know, down the seam. And you're like, hey, you know, they're going to hit a couple of 40-yarders on us. But we were able to live with that because we knew they weren't going to throw it much more than, you know, six to eight times. So we were okay. Yeah, and I've I've learned over the years because I was real bad when I first started calling plays about, oh, let's just run it. You know, it's third and three, get, a, get the first down, get the first down, get the first down. I learned a little bit that, you know, we needed to throw the ball a little bit more, especially early in the year and, you know, show some of those teams, hey, we're going to throw it that way. They don't know what you're talking about as much of, hey, give up something. We'll give up the pass. 
Because the last thing I want is everybody up there, and we force our quarterback to have to throw it. <laughs> so now, now you're getting into what I had to kind of teach Harper a little bit too. It's like, hey, I know you don't want to throw it ever, Harp, but <laughs> you're going you're gonna to look a lot better, and, and we're going to rush for a lot more yards when the safeties are even just two steps back. Or, you know, there, there's that threat of, of us throwing it, and they're going to have to at least kind of clear some of these things. And if we give our tailbacks just a little bit more space, all of a sudden now we're going to see some of those three- and four-yard runs turn into six, eight, or maybe they make a guy miss, and that's when we hit the big ones. But making them at least have to honor some of that, it's such a huge, huge thing for an offense. Yeah, it's definitely taken me a few years to learn. I, I wasn't very smart. I'm still probably not very smart, but I was pretty dumb for a while there. <laughs> Well, I'm in the dumb category right now, and I like the uh, <laughs> I like it when everyone knows what it is, and it's third and one, and they know it's a run, and you say, "Yeah, it's a run," and it's going to be right here too, and uh, try to stop it. And they and when they can't, it's a lot of fun. Not as much fun when they can, but uh, when they can't, it makes you feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah, you know, I played as no lineman, so yeah, it's a whole lot of fun. Knowing, hey, we're going to run right here. Third one, still can't stop it. <laughs> yeah, hey, don't don't get me wrong. It's like you said. All of a sudden, now you run into the the, the one team that can. That's right. Then it's bad. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, okay, well, now what are we gonna do, Coach? We called power three times and they stuffed it. So I think now it's like, okay, cool. You you've stuffed it once, and and then the next time I've thrown it over your head. Now what are you gonna do? It's that same feeling of helplessness for the for the defense. It's like, man. We don't know how we're going to be able to play this either. We can get beat either way. So I think I'm I'm a huge fan of it too, man. If I can call power 28 times in a game and, and we're smoking it, absolutely. I'm I don't I don't want to have to do that. But I know we all run into those teams. That's right. That are, that are also pretty well coached. You know, they they're going to take away the things that we do well as as well. And I want to have those those answers and those changes for them. So then now that DC f- does feel helpless. He's like, man, it doesn't matter what I call. They got it dialed up against us. Yeah, I agree. I, I learned the same thing about you got to throw a, a counter in there every now and then. Even if you know, even if ISO's working every play, every now and then you got to run the counter off the ISO or the boot off the ISO. Just so two weeks from now that team sees, oh, hey, they're going to do this too. You know. <laughs> well, coach, you were you were coaching, you know, for your your high school football coach, uh, and, and like you'd said, you kind of had worked your way into like an offensive coordinator role. Uh, and then you get the call to, to go be, you know, the offense coordinator at another school. What uh, what was kind of said between you and and uh, and Coach Dryling, or, or did he give you any advice, or or, or how to, how was that when when you kind of finally decided, you know, I'm going to go away from my high school coach and the guy I've been working for, uh, kind of go be an OC somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, you know, him and I still talk. I actually just saw him last weekend, so um, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, stick with what you know and, you know, what you're good at and, um, you know, start with there. I mean, but, I mean, that, that's just kind of kind of how that deal went. And, I mean, uh, listen, I, I owe, you know, like I said earlier, everything I know about, you know, the flex bone and running the ball and most of everything I know about O-line play to him. So, um, huge debt to everything he's done for me. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was good. And I, I think he understood it was a challenge I needed to go, you know, take. Well, coach kind of, kind of coming up on an hour now, um, you know, kind of the, the last thing I always like to ask people is, and, and really interested in your answer, but when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's something that they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? 
Um, I think the number one thing that sticks out is effort and guys finishing off blocks. You know, I like it when my own guys do it, but I, I'm always impressed when you see other guys and all of a sudden the play's done. There's still a guard driving a guy eight, 10, 12 yards down the field. And, um, you know, there's no quit in him. You know, I, I think the, the biggest compliment you can give another coach and hopefully coaches say it about my guys is, you know, they get off the ball and they play hard. I think that's the number one thing you look for. What a, coach, I think, what do you what do you guys what do you try to do with your offensive line to to get them to play that way? Uh, is that is that something that that you guys have a drill for or something in practice, or is that just a a standard that you're keeping them to in, in a game? Or how do you how do you drill that into into your offensive line's mind? Yeah, I mean, you need to you need to work your drills at full speed as much as possible. Um, I think that helps. I, I think. It, kind of just goes to the culture you have to build around your O-line. Um, you know, it's tough being an O-lineman. You don't get your you know, name in the paper very often. And um, I think it's important to keep those guys pumped up um, and make sure they know how important they are. Um, and one of the good things about Flex One is everybody has to block in our offense. It's not like we got an eye back that never blocks or something. Um, and so everybody knows they're having to give their part too. Um, but we make sure our whole team knows and make sure, you know, interviews, our backs give the O-line credit um, and make sure they know that, hey, everything really does start with them. And that's – it's not just lip service. We know it. It's true. We've seen when we have average lines, it's, you know, it's tough to run the ball. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt – long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com also if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app this will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com follow me on twitter at harper underscore coach and coach walls at coach brady walls Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.